This episode is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Become a patron today at patreon.com forward slash into the portal. Nineteen seventy one. Doctor Anne Ross had gone to bed as usual that evening. Her work as a Celtic scholar had taken her down some unusual avenues to say the least, but none so strange as the two miniature heads that had recently come into her possession, via a colleague in the archaeology department. She flicked on the light in the hallway before settling in for the night. It was a mild evening, but one that would soon change. In the wee hours of the morning, Dr. Ross felt her eyes flutter open. Her body was frozen with icy dread permeating her flesh and enveloping her mind and body entirely. The room was pitch black, her field of vision absent of the light that should have been shone from the hallway. Instead, her eyes became focused on a dark figure, a gaunt, human-like entity hunched in the doorway of her bedroom. It stood on two legs with a thick, shaggy fur coat. But what terrified Dr. Ross the most was the head of the beast, distinctly animalistic. The creature gestured towards the doctor, then shifting its posture, proceeding down the hall, disappearing from Ross's view. Compelled by an unknown force, Ross felt herself rising from bed, the distinctive sense of dread building as she slowly rose. The doctor felt her legs move one foot in front of the other, faster and faster, until she found herself at the foot of the staircase alone and terrified. The creature had vanished, the only sign of its appearance being in the kitchen door left ajar, the curtains swinging ominously in the night breeze. This was just one of several strange events that would follow the seemingly innocent discovery of two small stone objects at number three Reed Avenue. Curious little things with a potentially very dark past. Join us on Into the Portal as we discuss the bizarre case of the Hexham Heads. Welcome back into the portal. I'm Amber Ray. And I'm Andrew McKay. What's up, everybody? Welcome back. Yeah, yeah. We, Get- we're excited about this one. I, mean, I say that every single week, but this one's pretty unique. It's it is. <laughs> it's It has so many different rabbit holes that I did not expect to come across. I didn't even think we were going to get to record because we there were so many rabbit holes. We were like, <laughs> oh, crap. Like, this is going to take us forever. There's so many cool things to look at. Like, actually, it was one of those ones this week. Legit. like... Kind of insane. No, I know. It's funny because we were actually going to record a date earlier. And then we're like, no, 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 no. no, We don't have time. Like, we can't. Yeah. (laughs) Other things to look at. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, Yeah. So we've got a lot of cool stuff to bring to the table tonight. We do. And a few things before we get into all that. We just wanted to say a quick apology. (laughs) Yeah. Sorry about last week, guys. Uh, I don't think it was too, too bad. We talked to a few listeners and they were like, yeah, sound quality wasn't so bad, but... 
we were in my grandparents' dungeness basement because uh, we were away for Thanksgiving. Yeah, it's and, pretty echoey, uh, and I kind of sounded like I had a cold or something. It was weird. Yeah, Amber sounded like she had a cold. We had a couple of uh, a couple of drinks in us. Yeah. Anyway, thank you for bearing with us Getting on that episode. Getting a little episode. rowdy. <laughs> <laughs> we had a good time. Though. We had a good time. It was great. We also wanted to remind you guys about our epic pumpkin carving contest um so super excited about it it's already like the 14th so halloween is fast approaching yes and i just got confirmation um from uh mark stores from the kryptonaut podcast too those guys are going to help us judge the competition so they're gonna we're going to be sending them uh, sharing the submissions with them and they're going to help kind of uh take a peek at it and and judge the contest so that'll be super fun definitely Um, so if there's any early birds out there that are getting carving yeah send those in so um details are up on i think on the website and we've done some posts and stuff but just to reiterate it's, i haven't put it on the website yet. okay but. by the time this is released it probably will be but yeah. um it's basically it's just carve an awesome pumpkin get those creative juices flowing and all you have to do is um post it on social media so like facebook twitter instagram tag mm-hmm. us um make sure you're following us on one of those social pl- media platforms and then just hashtag into the portal and that's basically it like tag a friend yeah and that's it. And then we're just, it's just for fun. So we just wanted to, yeah, get some people. Well, it's for fun and it's for some sway. Well, we definitely have an awesome prize pack. Absolutely. Yes. yes. Yeah. yeah it's gonna it, it, this is, that's going to be the funnest part for me. Well, I, I love Jack Lantern, so I just love all of it. And I'm going to get going on a few of my own. So oh, I'll heck, have my yeah. own entries. <laughs> totally. Definitely. <laughs> and we want to just allude to this as well, that we have another mini-sode for our Patreon mm-hmm. supporters coming out soon. Yes. And it's going to be a, a definitely an on-theme October yes. episode, for sure. Another haunted object. Mm. Similar, well, not similar in the sense that it is kind of like this cursed or hexed thing that may or may not have been a child's play thing at one point. Mm-hmm. And we're really excited about that. Yeah. But Definitely. Yeah. Is there anything else to... Oh, oh, we got one review we'd like to thank. Uh, Drayton. Yes. Or sorry if I said that weird. <laughs> Drayton? <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think so. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah. For a stellar review on our recommendation on Facebook. So that's sweet. Yeah. Thank you very much. Really appreciate that. Yeah. And there was a new iTunes review as well. And thank you so much. It was a five star from Aces of Spades, 1944. Sweet name. Yeah, yeah. yeah um, definitely, yeah. And they're just... Um, really positive they say definitely one of my favorite paranormal podcasts makes the workday go by much faster keep up the great work and (laughs) this is kind of funny he's like p.s i just listened to the wendigo podcast and couldn't figure out how to tell amber she has a pretty voice for podcasting that's so nice without sounding like a creepy internet stalker (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's easy to sound like a creepy internet stalker these days i'm sure i do like almost every day on twitter somehow but uh anyway Uh, it's less I think it's easier for guys to be creepy, and you really have to work to be creepy if you're a girl. I like, guess. You know, like, like stalker creepy. Well, like, let's 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 make that happen. Let's see if <laughs> let's see if you can creep some people out here, Amber. <laughs> yeah, life goals. Life, life goals. <laughs> All right, we ready to jump into this? Yes, please. Let's Kay. get into it. So today we are discussing uh, a strange little case um, that I had never heard of before. Neither of us had actually heard of um, until it was suggested by a listener, um, by Aaron. Yes, thank you, Aaron. So yeah, thanks thanks again for this awesome suggestion. Today we're talking about the story of the Hexham Heads. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, this basically, this tale begins in a place that's basically, you know, seemingly a very, very normal neighborhood, essentially, um, in Northumberland, England, in the outskirts of the town of Hexham. So it's basically a borough in the valley of Tyne, England, 32 kilometers. A borough. <laughs> borough. Borough. A borough. Borough. I don't know. How did I pronounce that? Oh, we've got to ask um, 
our buddies over in the Burl. British Isles. Yeah, there. we got, uh, yeah, we can, there's a few shows we could reach out to. Definitely. So 32 kilometers um, from Newcastle. Decent sized, decent sized town, around 12,000 people um, living in the area. This is just according to Wikipedia. And, but I mean, regardless, I mean, this kind of took place in suburbia, but it's still a populated area. Mm-hmm. But anyway, the dates are kind of varying too, but it, it did happen in 1971. But if you look online, there's a few varying accounts, depending on where you look, 1972, 1971, mm-hmm. but we're going with 1971. So one summer afternoon, there were two young boys. Now, again, story kind of varies, but we'll, we'll give you both versions. Mm-hmm. There's two young boys who were either essentially playing in the backyard or weeding in the backyard, Leslie and Colin Robson. So... Like I said, slightly rural suburban home number three Reed Avenue was the address. And this was an afternoon in February 1971. Colin, who was 11 years old at the time, was down digging in the dirt. When he came across... (laughs) Just digging away? I mean, it makes sense that he'd be weeding, right? Like, that's the... The way that I heard it phrased was that they were doing a favor for their parents. They were trying to clean up the garden. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, when I was an 11-year-old boy, I did, like, digging holes for no apparent reason. They were probably actually more so just digging for buried treasure and saying they're weeding. Yeah, like, they're working, quote-unquote, right? (laughs) So, Colin is digging around. Whether he's working or not, we can't say. comes across the first of two, what would end up being two, small stone heads buried in their garden. So very, very odd. Mm -hmm. Some versions actually say that they um, were both down in the garden and they found them at the exact same time. I don't Mm. think that that was actually the case. But uh, if if that was the case, that would be very strange. But I honestly take Paul Scraton's um, word for this initial discovery Mm -hmm. more so than any like blogs or whatever, because he actually went and interviewed the two yes. brothers Absolutely. at the location of the find. Right. They related how the older brother, so Colin, he was actually the one down in the garden. And the way I have it pictured in my head is that his brother is actually, he's in the upstairs window mm-hmm. looking yes. down on his brother, which is honestly kind of a weird, creepy imagery. Yeah. I've seen other versions not from Screton that basically say that the both boys, like you said, were down and the mother was watching them from above. Hmm. So there's just some discrepancy, but essentially, yeah. So Colin found a head and then according to the Screton account, his brother witnessed the find and went down to see what the fuss was about. Because obviously he had something in his hands. He's, you know, whatever, fiddling right. around with it. Yeah. And then that's when Leslie, the younger brother, came down. And he decided, I, okay, this is the weird part for me. It's like, so you find this weird thing. Are you just digging around more in the same place to see if there's more of it? Like, yeah. you know, I guess that's that, just natural that's, curiosity. That's the gist that I got. Yeah. So it just makes sense, I guess. But I'm just thinking, like, you know, like, it, very shortly after the first was found, the second was found as well. Right. So it could have been instantaneously. It could have been a few minutes. Whatever. Right. But in the same relative location, right, is kind in of the like far what corner the of the property near a hedge um, in the garden area, of course. Mm-hmm. So... Leslie ends up unearthing this second head. Now, they're quite small. We'll get into that in a sec. Mm-hmm. But the boys were... They, they're small and odd-looking, but they weren't really... Grotesque s- by some accounts. By some accounts. But at, but at the same time, the story basically goes that they weren't really startled by it. They weren't off-put at that initial moment when they discovered them by these little heads that they had discovered. Which is very intriguing to me, again, because the more you dig into this case, you get accounts of later on people that come to have the heads in their possession. Um, This one particular researcher, which I won't name right now, but essentially he brought it to his home. And as soon as he entered the household with these objects, 
his children instantly disliked them, hated them. Yeah. Didn't like them at all. So Not a good sign. Very interesting. And a lot of other people had that reaction. Totally. I'm going to give this quote here. This was just from uh, a blog up on Unexplained Podcasts website. Um, I just thought it was interesting because it's different than some of the other descriptions that we came across. But they, it, says, it reads as follows. They had an, uh, had an appearance like two grotesque doll heads. The first one, known as the boy, because it looked more like a boy, had hair etched into the head and an open face with wide-set eyes and a long nose. The other had a far more severe look to it. How, you can interpret that how you will. Mm-hmm. And has been described as having a strong, beaked nose and wide, bulging eyes and would later become known as the witch because it resembled more of a female witch-like figure. Mm-hmm. So, or the hag. The hag. Um, so that was that's a quote from Unexplained Podcast, their website. But that was just kind of interesting. Super, super creepy. But the boys weren't off-put by it. So they brought them back into the house, which they shared with their parents and their two younger sisters. They showed them oh, what actually, they had found. <laughs> That's actually a misnomer. Oh, um, there was a younger sister. There was also an elder sister that was actually on her honeymoon at the time of the arrival. Right. That's the, right. I meant yeah. to switch that. So one younger sister and one older sister. I believe but so. But four kids altogether. I believe so. That's okay. Sounds good. So, but either way, they bring them back into the house and by all accounts, they basically set them on the table. They showed them to their parents. Showed them to the neighbors. Showed too. them to the neighbors. Kind the of a dog prize, family. Right? Yeah. I mean, they found something cool, right? And yeah. neighbor, I mean... Whenever we see, you know, like, um, suburban England on TV or anything like that, like, your neighbors are quite close together a lot of the time. Very right? so close. It's, like, it's townhomes. Yeah. They're not even, yeah, they're not standalone homes. Right. It's like basic um, post-war time housing is kind of what yeah. it looked like. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah. So. And it actually was, it was, um, from what I read, it was community sort of like, um, like publicly housed funding that people were actually allotted to by welfare services, I believe, like or something akin to welfare services, right, okay. which is why eventually after all this weirdness shakes down, they actually have to request, um, to, to be, be re, yeah, exactly. Right. Removed to a different residence. But anyways. And speaking of that, an interesting point here is that the family, the Robsons and the two boys that discovered this had actually only been living at this at number three Reed Avenue for two weeks before this happened, which is just, I found to be a little bit odd. It is odd. Yeah. Anyway, but so we're getting it. Let's get into the heads themselves. You want to give a little bit more detail on the heads? Yeah. Cause these are quite, they're quite archaic looking. Yeah. Um, but in this case, when you actually do a Google search, you're going to come up with a bunch of images of this one particular book called Quest for the Hexam Heads. Yep. And the image in that book is actually not the Hexam Heads. No. One is a reproduction and one is actually a head carved by one of the Robson boys that was done a few months prior to them moving into the household. Coincidence? It, it is very strange. He carved it apparently for a, hu- or for a human competition, for a school competition. And it was apparently one second place. <laughs> I don't know what for. What kind of human? Or why do I say human competition? I guess it is a because competition it, amongst because humans. It's, no, you're saying that because it's just, it's very obscure it's to carve something for a school competition that is a human head with very... Very similar. Like, and it's very creepy, right? I don't know if he did this on purpose, but he, he painted it in like this weird blackish paint and it's like this very ominous looking thing. Yes. But anyways, let's go back to the actual original Hexham heads. Let's do that. They were very, very small. Uh, only about six centimeters tall and four in diameter. And they did have slightly different shapes to the heads and looks, uh, including color. So one was lighter in color mm-hmm. uh, with less pronounced features, which was the boy. Right. The other was darker. 
Um, it, it is very interesting too because they actually have um, colorations. I was reading an account by that Robbins character who comes into play later on once experts get involved. Right. And he essentially made the description that the boy had a kind of a greenish gray, a greenish blue appearance and that mm-hmm. he's very um, crystalline with quartz yeah. and very like shimmery and yeah. sparkly. The the girl was um, decidedly less so. It was more like a lead. Yes, and she actually had some pigmentation, some like strange, like uh, orangish reddish pigmentations on the top of her head. That's bizarre. Okay, exactly. Okay, yeah. So very, very interesting. Oh, and the weight of them too, unnaturally heavy. So if you're thinking, because a lot of people say like these were made in modern times in the 20th century, they're only about 18 years old, as we'll get into, mm-hmm. according to some people. And that, that doesn't really make sense, according to experts, because of the, the discrepancies in the weight and the actual composition of the minerals themselves. Right. But okay. getting ahead of ourselves a tiny, tiny bit. It's all good. But it is very interesting, right? Because the one, the one that was deemed the witch or the girl had a very, what was described as a non-human sort of very creepy essence to it a lot of people figured that that was where these strange sort of poltergeist um sort of energies were emanating from okay yeah so very very weird and also of note was the um the first stone so the boy he had what was described as celtic hair running back and forth so like in like stripes from front to back right and and the weird part about the girl was that she had like these strange eyes like yeah. she I, they were described as someone i can't remember the exact it was like a reference like a pop culture reference to someone with really weird eyes i guess because basically they were wild and they kind of popped out and then her hair kind of accentuated it because it was tied back in a very severe knot like bun thing and that was where you could see the traces of color like red it's so funny like the way you describe that there makes me think of and they're not like these are like solid objects but that makes me think of like you know like the shrunken shriveled heads like that yeah. you'd see like you know what i mean like in like uh oh for in, sure in voodoo or whatever and in oh, movies or even in like um that. the harry potter the one where they're on the night bus oh yeah and then they end up talking right <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah totally no that's that's totally what i picture when you describe it like that mm-hmm. which is kind of interesting and it makes you wonder it's like but very strange right because these are very distinctive heads yes like they're not the same it's not like they are a pair because they're found together but not necessarily a pair no you know no very very yeah no the differences are very distinct yes yeah, for sure. and and actually one other thing of note that we should mention right now was that these originals actually had these things called tenons which were it was i think it was described as three on each one and essentially what it is is kind of like a, um, a protrusion, a, a small protrusion that would fit into another part. So essentially what it would fit into like a niche or a niche right, or whatever. Okay. I always get that word wrong. Niche. Niche, niche. I don't know. <laughs> it's fine either way. It doesn't matter. You're so polite. Call it whatever the hell you want. I'm not apologizing. I'm saying that. I don't even know. I don't know. But anyways, yeah. So these originals apparently had those. And then later on, we'll get into like there was um, some reproductions made. That didn't have them. Right. So that was kind of a, a point of note. Yeah. But, yeah. So okay. these boys, they ended up uh, taking the heads back into their home. They do. They didn't think much of any of it, right? Like, are they just kind of out to lunch? Like, they're uh, well playing I mean, the Oblivious card? I or? think at the ages of, like, 11 and, and and then Leslie was slightly younger, you're not quite at the I age where... I 11 you, and 14. Even at... Okay, well, even at 14, you're not 
you'd think wild imagination abounding, all sorts of mysteries, all sorts of weird, like, you know, like, this is like an ancient find. Like, who knows but what your imagination But not necessarily anything, like, like, scary, though. True. Like, you know what I mean? Like, when I was 14, look... like, pretending, like, playing Indiana okay. Jones it's or whatever, like it would be more like, yeah. yeah, like, not like, oh my gosh, did we just uncover, like, cursed objects? Like, this does not feel right. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's interesting, like, because for me, I would have gone there <laughs> when I was a kid. In yeah, well, you are where you There's actually, child. there's an Indian burial site that's, like, literally, like, less than a kilometer from where we're sitting right now. I used to go there with my old friend, my old school friend. And try and like scare her <laughs> and try and say that we've we've uh, entered sacred ground and that we're going to be cursed for the rest of our life. Did she believe you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Nice. I remember one time. What a good friend you are. Oh, my gosh. I was terrible. Okay. This is another <laughs> side note. But when I was young, the very first sleepover I had with her, she came over to my house and we were all settled in bed. And I decided I was going to tell her because we were like sleeping in the living room and there was um, a staircase right beside us where we were sleeping. And I told her this lovely bedtime story about how my grandpa that had recently died oh, no. loves to come and walk up and down the stairs as if he's guarding the house or something. And then she actually left. <laughs> she didn't stay, didn't stay for the sleepover. Oh, that's <laughs> no. a Louise Belcher move I right really there. really bad. But we ended up being really good friends, so whatever. <laughs> it's fine. But anyways, yeah. but that actually comes into play though, right? Like, um, again, as far as our theory section and the perhaps maybe this was poltergeist activity because they were at an adolescent age. Potentially. Mm-hmm. So, slight recap. They find find two strange heads in the garden. They aren't put off by it. They bring them inside, show their family and the neighbors, the Dodd family. Mm-hmm. And then things start to get a little weird. Freaky deaky. So, within, within 24, 24 hours. hours. Within 24 hours, they realize, well, they didn't really realize per se, but they're sort of getting the feeling that unearthing these heads, well, although seemingly harm- harmless, was potentially going to be something that was would drive them out of their minds. <laughs> <laughs> So this is when paranormal activity starts to happen. Okay. So within 24 hours, things start to get weird. It all started relatively benign, nothing too intense. But the family, basically, it starts off with just just simple things, Mm -hmm. things being moved. Very typical. So the family had left the room after placing the heads on the table, but when they returned, the heads had just moved from one place to the other. A lot of the times what I read was that they would turn around. That was, so, okay, so so the first one was that apparently it had gone from one end of the table to the other. Okay. Then definitely turning around. So there was another instance where they had then repositioned them again on the table. Mm-hmm. And this table is sitting in front of a window, and the window looks out into the backyard where the garden was, where the boys Ooh, had actually found these Okay, heads. so that corner, is that a hot spot? Potentially. Mm-hmm. So another, another story was that shortly after this, the next day, so now this is now 48 hours... The family actually left the house. They were out for the afternoon, and the heads were facing completely away from the window. When they came back, the heads had slid to the far end of the table, closer to the window, mm-hmm. and had turned themselves, looking out directly, focusing on the spot where they were dug up in the corner of the garden. Hmm. Ominous. Very ominous. I'd say at that point, you probably get rid of the heads, and if it's me... <laughs> Like, they didn't, though. They, they didn't. didn't. They, they, they didn't do that. I honestly would think, okay, if you're living in a household, you've got four-ish kids. Maybe one of them's on their honeymoon. Who knows? One of them, <laughs> one of them's not really a kid anymore. <laughs> but you'd think maybe someone's just trying to play a prank. Someone's trying to, you know, that's stir up first, some stuff. That's the first thought. And you just play the nonchalant, whatever. Like, you, yeah, kids have fun, that kind of thing. So you would kind of rub it off. And especially if there's anything, like, 
violent happening as far as like um, people getting pulled or hair getting pulled or, or like people getting attacked or, yeah. or animals getting killed. Not directly. Oh, except anyway. for the budgie. Yeah. So. That just reminds me of Flight of the Concords. Yeah. I had a budgie, but a dad. <laughs> I like pie. <laughs> okay. But like I said, this was just the beginning because things were going to slowly descend and get worse. So shortly after this, shortly after the first instance of these things moving on the table, the one that was dubbed the girl, the witch, because of its supposed female appearance, levitated itself and flew across the room, smashing into the wall with a loud bang and a thud on the ground. I couldn't actually get a clear answer whether or not this happened whilst people were in the room or if this happened while people were out of the room. And they were freaked they out by the sound. the sound. They maybe. go into the room. One's on the table and the witch one is on the ground next to the wall. Mm. Nobody's where in there to this, throw it. Where, what face is this wall? Like, does it face to the words of the garden, I wonder? It's just in their kitchen. So I, it didn't, I, I, it didn't yeah, say. It didn't I don't know, that I don't know which wall exactly. But clearly these things either don't want to be in the room or somebody's in there that's throwing it against the wall and then booking it out the back door to mess with them. Yeah. Those are your only two options. Mm-hmm. Pretty much. So, very, very strange. The object never broke. Like, these things are solid. Never smashed, never just made any... stone, like, dang. I know, but, like, I don't even know. Like, no scratch, no nothing. Just smash up against the wall. Obviously of quality manufacture. Not (laughs) something that was just whipped together. Yeah. Yeah. Perhaps. So, so far, it's just... Yeah, like, so far, this is very akin to poltergeist... Right? It very like, yeah, the cursed object or yeah, exactly, like an object that has energies that is almost being um, awakened by say the presence of children because right. children and adolescents come into play um in every instance of the most bizarre pretty much with these objects. Yeah. So it's very cool too because you have the classic apparently all the activity centered around two thirty a.m., which is basically actually no. Now that I think about it, three o'clock is supposed to be the three. Three is the hour of the dead. Is that what it is? Yeah. I always wake up at three o'clock, all the time. Don't tell me that. All the time. Don't like almost every night. (laughs) Uh oh. Okay. Apparently, maybe got a couple hexam heads in the backyard there. (laughs) Take the Leslie Nielsen approach. Just be completely oblivious, and you'll be fine. And don't call me Shirley. (laughs) Okay. So another few weird things that happened in this household that kind of set the stage for the progression is how I would phrase it because it, yeah, like he said, it's very benevolent, very benign, whatever. And then it kind of moves into a little bit more formidable. Yes. Glass um, being smashed, glass, bottles yes. being thrown. The one time there was a mirror that was found shattered with all the pieces in a frying pan. Uh, I'm not sure if the frying pan was on the stove or where it was exactly. Uh, also, um, many times the Robsons reported that their television set seemed to be possessed or had this strange whiplash sound that would manifest behind it. It happened multiple times. Like, I'm thinking, like, hey, wait, is this, like, electronic fog type thing where it's, like, signal interference from polarized? Literally, that is the picture that you, like, comes in your mind, right, when you think of poltergeist, like, the movie, right? Because oh, totally. That, well, yeah. and, and in so many different, like, stories, and actually, like, one that popped in my head right away just now when you said this was, like, we, we just watched it recently. It was the, oh, what's it called? It's, like, The Conjuring 2 or something or whatever, where, mm. the like, the, those actual American researchers, like, went over 
to the UK with that famous haunted yes. house, right? And that young girl, that was one of the things early in when things started happening to her, she would be sitting watching TV and then the channels would change because like the, uh, the old man yep. in the chair, like wanted to watch what he wanted to watch or whatever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It always seems to be the TV. Oh my gosh. The old man in the chair. I forgot. Yeah. What a dick. Just, but that's just it though. It's like the television is kind of a portal, right? Because you do have that, um, the, electricity element right which a lot of people do associate like you know like um electrical impulses and like that type of thing yeah sure yeah as being some sort of conduit right to another dimension to multiple dimensions to i don't know (sighs) yeah i I, ghost stuff freaks me out i love the paranormal I mean, it's supposed to freak you out, but it's just like, I mean, it really freaks me out. I don't know how I... Plus a sense of wonder and more a sense of dread and horror. (laughs) Yeah, like I don't want to wonder if I was in these situations. Yeah. I'd just be... Well, Andrew, how would you react if you woke up one morning to find your mattress showered with glass? Which is what happened to one of the daughters. Yeah. And she freaked out. And she, (laughs) in some instances, um, according to some accounts, she moved out of the room. In other instances, she actually, like, moved out of the house. So I'm not sure. Like, I feel like it would have to do with her age. Yeah. Another weird thing about this story in relation to the older daughter is why would she come back into the house after her honeymoon? Like, isn't she married and moved off with someone else? Maybe the honeymoon didn't go so well. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's the only explanation. (laughs) Domestic unrest. (laughs) That's where this all originates from. (laughs) Maybe they were supposed to go somewhere else, like, you know, nice and hot for the honeymoon, ended up in Winnipeg, didn't go so well, and then... I, yeah. There you go. This is cool, though, because we're not the first. Apparently, Into the Fray also covered this, and they had, they were the ones that came up with this. Yeah, the glass strewn about the beds of the younger, of the sisters. Yeah. They said the younger sisters. I'm not sure if that was a misnomer on our part. I know, I know, that's, a, that was, that's from that's them. I feel like that's just a common mistake across blogs and, and yeah. other people have looked into this because it is just sort of, there's a lot of names. There's a lot of people, there's a lot of kids mm-hmm. um, between the two families, the Robsons and the Dodds, and then Ro- the, uh, Anne Ross and her family. So there's a bunch of people. There's there a lot really of, is. A lot oh, of names. We haven't even introduced Anne Ross We have yet, not, so Who anyway. becomes a major part of this. Right. But so far... Okay, what are your thoughts, Andrew? Because, like, right now it's very simple so far as far as there is some minor poltergeist-like activity. Mm-hmm. There's been a find of this sort of perhaps maybe ancient heads. Yeah. So this is where it gets, this is where it's already, like, super strange to me, though. And, like, we'll come back. And this is where we thought it was going to end, right? Yeah, well. But no. Yeah, no. <laughs> it doesn't. Like, I mean, obviously it's strange, but I guess it's not adding up type strange, right? Like, so it's like, you these objects are discovered. Typically that from my experience in looking into things, it's like, that's not usually associated with poltergeist activity. That would have its own kind of thing going on, right? Like a Robert the doll, like cursed, like just cursed objects in general, right? Like in poltergeist, there's like the scene with the, the clown, right? That's like a, that's a possessed object, but it isn't just that. Like it could be anything in the house, right? It, It goes into whatever. So it's not just because in this story, it's almost from, it's from one from the heads, like from unearthing the heads. But then you have all this other stuff that's seemingly unrelated or should but be paranormally almost unrelated. Almost like shooken up by the fact that these heads were found. Yeah. It's a it's a, it's a a melting pot of paranormal hmm. activity right now. That is interesting the way that you phrase that where it's not associated with poltergeist-like activity, more of a cursed object. But any cursed object, you could argue, is the result of poltergeist activity, right? Absolutely. Where it's just no, like it becomes trapped in, whether totally. it's intentionally by someone who 
does that or right. if it's just manifest. Like you even mentioned the fact that like, yeah, perhaps it was simply the fact that these heads were found and they had a human face to them. Right. And a lot of the times that is kind of an attractive, um, like what, what am I trying to say? An attractive sort of like, not mechanism. Like a, me- like a medium for, exactly. for uh, possession or mm-hmm. for like to house a, a energy or a spirit or whatever. And that's why you get these stories with like Annabelle and those types of things, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's almost as if like with those, they get stuck in them. Yeah. With the hexam heads, it's interesting because they do seem more fluid. It does appear as though the hag or the girl um, is the focus of it. And it's almost as if, it's almost like a battery, right? Like, you put the negative and positive together. Like, so perhaps the boy is the negative, and then she's, like, you know, like, and then they kind of just work together as a cell. Maybe. Because there was actually uh, experiments done with dowsers, and there was energy that manifested from specifically the girl head, where really? it, it there was, like, a coil placed above it, and it just flipped up instantly. And Crazy. And you can also get a similar reaction if you place the coil in between the heads. At a distance of up to 10 feet. So there's apparently. some energy going on here. There is definitely some energy. Line. Yeah, very okay. cool. And things were only going to get more weird. Yes. So this is where enter the dogs. Right. The neighbors. So they were the ones that were introduced to the heads from the very get-go. Uh, the the Robson boys went over, showed their... Because they had several kids there as well. I yeah. believe it was three or four kids over yeah. there. Um. And, yeah, it... (laughs) (laughs) Just when you thought. (laughs) This is where we get another, yeah, a very bizarre shape-shifting element here. So Mrs. Dodds related to a Tysonide newspaper in 1972 that she had gone to sleep in her... Her, I don't know if bedroom. it was her, in, not in her bedroom, in one of her children's room because oh, they were ill. Oh, because he was, right. Yes, and in some accounts I saw that it was Brian, the 10-year-old, and others it was actually the daughter, which I can't remember the name of. But anyways, yeah, apparently a bit of a fever or something, ill, restless. She explained to the newspaper how she had, um, she'd gone to sleep with him, obviously, just to comfort him. Yeah. And that he had been complaining in the dark when they were laying there together that there was something touching him. Pressing on his legs, brushing up against him. Yeah, like it started off like, yeah, the one I added in the pressing on his legs part there because, yeah, that he was complaining of something touching the bed, touching him gently, and then a very hard like pressing. So like imagine laying in bed, you feel these weird kind of things brushing up against you. There's nothing there to explain it. And mm-hmm. then all of a sudden it feels like something really heavy is just leaning on your legs and pushing you down into your bed. Like you can't It's move. just an oppressive force. That's... That's weird. So, in the dark, Mrs. Dodd's eyes fluttered open. She could feel what her son was feeling. Her heart skipped a beat as she watched a dark shape move across the room on all fours. It came towards her and her son, who lay petrified, watching it as it brushed up against them both. Stunned, Mrs. Dodd's held her breath as the creature slowly retreated out of the room, still on all fours. As soon as it disappeared, she screamed bloody murder for her husband, who bolted in and found the two laying in anguish over their terrifying encounter. She described the creature as half sheep, half human, which is bizarre. That ain't right. (laughs) I'm not, I honestly, I'm thinking to myself, because we get alternative descriptions. Apparently in 1976, Mrs. Robertson related to another newspaper how 
I believe it must have been the same encounter because there was only one encounter reported by the Dodds, I believe. Yeah. She had heard, so Mrs. Robinson next door in the townhome, so they're sharing a wall, presumably. She heard a loud sound and a scream one night from the Dodds. When she inquired the next day, her neighbor told her that a wolf-like creature had entered her home. So you get wolf, you get sheep. I'm thinking I feel she like might have said sheep because it's England and there's sheeps everywhere. <laughs> well, maybe. <laughs> but, you know, it, but then it's like, know. but if that's the case, it's like, that's Why even, would you be terrified of that, that's, well, Unless it was a ram. Well, horns. half man, half sheep. Half man, half sheep, yeah. Anytime Where, you see half man, man half anything, it's like, time to go. What are the like, man parts? I just said that out loud. <laughs> what <laughs> are the man parts? <laughs> Let us list them right. off here. Take it off my belt. <laughs> no, but seriously, though, like, I'm imagining, like, is it split in half? Because we will get an account later on that basically says that the upper half was one part and the lower half was the other. I'm I, I'm feeling like it's not even like but a it half was very and half. Mean. It's it's not like a centaur half and half. I think it just was just... It says half sheep, half human, but really it's like... It's just like a what weird... Is it, what does it take for you to say that? It really only takes the head of a sheep. Well, totally, yeah. Right? It takes the head of a ram or the head mm-hmm. of a whatever, the head of a goat. And the thing with sheep... That's all associated sheep, with goat, the devil. Yeah. Super demonic. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? A demonic, um, like, iconography... Not iconography, like... A, oh. Yeah, no, I... Yeah. Related directly to the folklore of basically, like, you know... Orthodox Catholicism, essentially. The occult and the devil yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Well, what did we get? We got, um, we just watched The Witch the other night. We did. And we got Black... Uh, Black Peter. The, no, no, no. Uh, Black Richard? Black... No. I think it's Black Peter. No, it? it's not Black Peter. What was it? I gotta remember it. it now. Oh. Oh. Oh, Black Philip. Black Philip. Yeah, Black Philip. <laughs> Back Philip. <laughs> Back Philip. Back... <laughs> oh my God. Okay. <laughs> We're taken away from the <laughs> scariness of the witch <laughs> because of backflip Philip. <laughs> backflip Philip. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. All right. In all seriousness. All right. <laughs> anyway. Okay. okay. So this kind of this account here from the Dodds that basically set them off. They were like, you know what? Like we're piecing it, and they left. They actually, yeah, they applied for re uh, a reassignment. Yeah, and they got their wish. Yeah, absolutely. and yeah, the Robsons were left on their own. I feel like I, I was gonna say before we had a little laugh tech there. It's like I feel like that her talking to Mrs. Robson the next day, saying that it was a wolf coming into her room. It's like that's, you know, she must have convinced herself that she believed that that's the only thing it could have been. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And very much like the mo- like the witch, like the movie that we will end up doing an episode on very soon mm-hmm. where they just convince themselves that a wolf must have taken the young one. Yeah. That's the only explanation, exactly. right? And they even conjure up the footprints. I wonder if the witch did that as like a form of trickery or if it was actually like another wolf that was just in the area, perhaps. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. So eager to put an end to all, all these strange occurrences because the Robsons were starting to get a pretty pretty fed up with this sleepless nights i mean honestly think about it people like how are you gonna how could you live in a place where you have glass bottles levitating and smashing your kids have glass in their beds it's in your that's, frying pan that's the dangerous heads are itself, moving right? around on their own not good stuff no. probably time to make a change the robsons then took the heads to hexham abbey where they were later passed on to archaeologist roger uh, maquette and david smith 
And these were researchers from the Newcastle University Museum of Antiquities. Mm-hmm. So they were basically the, you know, the best people locally to take a look at these objects. Definitely. And they did. Yeah. And they really took um, a scientific approach, very, not cavalier, what's the word, just very dissociated from it. Yeah. Um, just trying to maintain an objective sort of standpoint. Definitely. Mm-hmm. And they, this was discussed in uh, Paul Screeton's 2010 book that we've already, Amber's already mentioned, The Quest for the Hexham Heads. He wrote two. So we're mostly are referring to a booklet that was right. published much earlier that's actually just called um, Tales of the Hexham Heads. Right. And then later on in 2010, he did publish Quest for the Hexham Heads, which is a definitive work that has also been compared to John Keel's uh, Mothman Prophecies. So right. I would highly recommend if you can get your little hands on that book, then mm-hmm. do so because I want to order it for myself, really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Roger McKett and... and uh, sorry, what was this other the guy's David name? David Smith. We, we'll come back to these guys a little later as well. But just, they, you know, they took a look at the heads. Mm-hmm. They did some preliminary tests, nothing super extensive right off the bat in the initial analysis. But they did confirm at the well. Confirm. They weren't even really doing tests per se. They were just. I'm um, not talking chemical. I'm just seeing they oh, were taking yeah. it. They were looking at it and Comparing using it. their, you know, their 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 knowledge or whatever to basically say we don't think that this is a no, like natural, common. Uh, what was the word I'm looking for? Like a substance that's modern. I see what you mean. Essentially, yeah. right? Like mm-hmm. it's not concrete, is what they said. Like so initially, yeah, exactly. Okay, and so not a 20th century origin. Not a 20 right. And Roger Miquette, who seemed to have a little bit more of, he was he, like, if, when you guys, go, if you Google the, uh, you know, the Hexham heads and you see a guy standing there with the glasses on holding the two heads, that's mm-hmm. Roger Miquette. He mm-hmm. was the first uh, photo with them. That was like, he wrote an article. Published he did. It. He liked um, them. He thought they were funny. He thought they were neat. He's an archaeologist too. So he's, you know, like he's got the background to yeah. kind of s- decipher whether or not right. this is of modern or of ancient origins. Exactly. One would presume. And the one thing that they did they did think right off the bat was that this, if these are ancient, they're of Celtic origin. They mm-hmm. they thought that it looked to be of Celtic origin. So they reached out to um, Anne Ross, Anne who Ross, we just mentioned, yes. who um, was Dr. A, Anne Ross. A, Dr. Anne Ross, Celtic scholar, had written several books um, on the subject and archaeology yes. related to Celtic objects. So she was the she was the person to reach out to. She really was. She, yeah, she's a Celtic scholar, expert, does dabble in some less academic, um, like, you know, hobbies or whatever. According to academics. According, exactly. (laughs) So all the stuff we're into, essentially. Yeah, exactly. So the myths, the legends, the folklore, all this stuff, and how potentially perhaps the paranormal can bleed into that. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, no, she is very a colorful character when it comes to this story. Yeah. And basically she had these um, samples mailed to her so that the actual heads themselves made their way to Anne Ross from Roger Miquette. Yes. He handed them over to her and she actually took them to her home to study initially in Hampshire. And upon entering her household, Anne Ross had some very bizarre encounters and experiences Mm -hmm. she actually claimed that there were like werewolf type entities that invaded her home yeah and it's very bizarre so she she became heavily involved in the investigation did claim that these were in fact of celtic origin they were not according to her and um an analysis done by an associate of hers uh his name's hodson Mm -hmm. he actually he he came to the conclusions that this was not again it was not of 
It's not cement. It's not like, you know, of a modern composition. It's not a hoax is essentially like to phrase it differently because to imply that it's concrete from 10 years ago Mm -hmm. is to imply it's a hoax, right? Or a mistake. Or a mistake or, yeah, exactly. So they wouldn't have been of Celtic origins, obviously. Yeah. (laughs) So once you kind of say, that's that's the weird part about academia, right? Once you say something and you say definitively, if you go back on that, then you're kind of like your reputation is potentially tarnished a little bit. So who knows, like, the motivations of all of these people that became involved. But I will say right now that Paul Scraton, who is probably the authority on this whole topic of the Hexham heads, he he believes in the veracity of all of these people's claims, and he doesn't he doesn't know who not to believe, essentially. Right. But take it with a grain of salt, is all he says, and yeah. make sure you apply your own critical lens, which is kind of what we're doing here. Take it with a grain of salt and bring some salt in case there's witchcraft involved. <laughs> But essentially, yeah, Ross did come to believe that they were Celtic objects, perhaps perhaps cursed, and that the Garden of Three Reed Avenue, where they were found, was once a Celtic shrine. So, again, that could play into some theories, potentially. Okay. And she did have, in 1973, she did a publication on the heads, and it was uh, in a journal called Archaeologia and Elalia. Elalia? I don't even know how to say that. Eliana? Eliana, sorry. That was totally butchered. And it was called Some New Thoughts on Old Heads. And her basic premise of all of this was that these were of the Celtic tradition and they were essentially part of the transition in Celtic um, heritage and Celtic culture um, of a shift from making actual heads. Like they, taking the heads of they their did. enemies, essentially? They did. In battle, predominantly. There's a huge mythology associated with that in Celtic tradition. Um, But essentially, she argues that this tradition of head-taking in battle could have been seen as an embarrassment to the conquering Romans who were kind of invading at, um, I believe it was in, what was it, the 5th or 6th century BC? Okay. Something like that along those lines in those later centuries. Um, But yeah, no, she, she says that basically these could have been sort of like symbolic representations of these heads that have special connotations. A lot of times they were placed around temples. They Mm -hmm. were put in these niches, 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 whatever, which again, that's where the tenons come into play, right? Right. Because if these are of Celtic origin and they have these little tiny tenons that are almost like tiny little protrusions coming out the bottoms Mm -hmm. of them, Mm -hmm. then that would kind of, again, um, further legitimize the fact that they could have been from that particular era. Right. Okay. It's, it's really interesting, though. Like, she goes into a lot of stuff about um, these heads in the Celtic tradition. She did say elsewhere in another publication that the typical Celtic head is a myth, um, but that they do express a singular unity in their quality of non-humanness. Yeah. So kind of this strange sort of, obviously they're human Esque it's because like they're the, heads, it's a bit but of they're the object, though. exactly yes. where you're looking Otherness. at something that's human-like, but that it's not you. Mm-hmm. Right? Yes, and it's like so yeah, that's it, that, that's very cool to me. So, I love thinking so about to, all this. So to, to kind of briefly sum up a little bit of Anne Ross here, they get sent to her, they and do. right off the bat, she brings them into her house. Her children don't like it. No, like which they, they were among others, it, right? Mm-hmm. Then she ends up seeing. I mean, do you want to give a little more detail on that? Mm-hmm. Let's 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 get into her okay. were, her her werewolf encounter, and we're calling it that because there's, for lack of a better term, but could have been a wolver, it could have been a 
What are those things? Koopa? Puka. Puka, sorry. Puka, which is essentially like a Celtic demon. But who knows? So Ross, yeah, she related on television, mind you. This is, I can't remember the name of the host, but apparently he was widely known in Britain. Apparently, a few days after the heads had come into her possession via Roger Miquette, she awoke one night with a distinct prickling sensation of fear. The room was freezing cold, despite the fact that the window wasn't left open. And it was pitch black, despite the light that she normally left on in the hallway. That's never a good sign. Mm-hmm. Ross stated that she witnessed a black entity in the doorway, about six foot tall, stooped over. The upper body resembled a wolf, while the lower was human. Yes. Okay. Ross described how the atmosphere of dread and icy cold continued the entire time she stared at the creature. She described how it appeared to be covered in a thick black fur. And suddenly, before her very eyes, it bolted from the doorway. And Ross said she felt compelled to chase after it. By the time she reached the foot of the stairs, the creature had disappeared, leaving Ross alone and filled with a dreaded sensation. Apparently, her son had his own encounter with the werewolf creature. I'm not sure if this was, I think this was after her initial encounter. But apparently he, again, this was late at night, and he witnessed a dark figure on the stairs. It leapt over the banister and out of sight, vanishing into the dark night of the street. And that was it. Yeah. So again, you do get elements, right? This is a family home. You get adolescent children. I'm not sure how old her son was at the time, but I believe it was between 11 and 16. It was around the same age as the neighbor, as the Rob, Robson mm-hmm. kids, from what I gathered. Yeah. That's, so, yeah, that's... What do you make of that? Like... <laughs> what we've... We said this to each other the other day when we were talking about the notes, that this story, in a different sort of way, reminds us of Skinwalker Ranch. And it has nothing to do... It's not mm-hmm. It's not because of the place, necessarily, like it is the case with Skinwalker Ranch, where there's clearly, like, it, there, you know, it's just the location itself, and then things emanate from that location. We have elements of that here, mm-hmm. but then the fact that, yeah, dis, dif, di, you know, distinct head objects is... What do these have to do with it? Is it just coincidence? Do, do these things just happen to be coming from a place that... I don't even know. It is... I'm not sure what to make of the werewolf, were-sheep aspect of this. I feel as though the were-sheep or werewolf could have been almost like an omen of, like, an energy that's being manifested and is almost being fed potentially by, like, almost like a poltergeist situation where it's being fed by the energies given off from the children, from whoever else, right? If you're sort of ambiguous and you're like, what, weird stuff's going on? I mean, then you it, might actually be contributing that by honestly just the sensation of fear and what can come from that, right? Right, could be. I, I mean, well, and like you said um, a few minutes ago, that Anne Ross believed this to be a celt of uh, a, a celt a, a site, site of mm-hmm. Celtic ritual. Mm-hmm. She actually wanted to go back and excavate the entire neighborhood, but never got the grounds to do that you gotta wonder <laughs> what they'd find probably some pretty curious things yeah um, you'd wonder hey we've got some i'm gonna save some tidbits for later on but this is just it's yeah it's it just becomes more and more bizarre right so you get this and ross uh she actually has her own analysis of the materials which we'll get into in a second but enter don robbins yeah dr gv don robbins who came into this via uh, Ross, 
So he, I'm not actually sure what his relationship was with her or if he was just, he heard about it and became interested and contacted them. Okay. But essentially what happened was, um, but he was a specialist in geology. So he was actually trained in inorganic chemistry. He had a doctorate in solid state magnetic attractions. Interesting. Very interesting, right? Again, kind of reminds me of Ed Leeds Skeldon in Coral Castle. But anyways, he had some very, very interesting ideas on the potential powers held within head, the heads themselves. Yeah. And yeah. how even just minerals themselves, certain types of minerals with certain um, types of frameworks as, as far as their crystalline orientation and the lattice framework yeah. could actually give off some potential energies. Um, or linked, retain energy. Exactly. Or Im- have them imprinted right. onto it. Right. And that these can be linked to psychic phenomena. So essentially what happened was um, he went into Hodson's office where the heads were being stored. This was 1977. And he he studied the heads. He actually had his own sort of like, he's definitely not um, a objective observer by any means because he kind of went into, he explains to Paul Creighton that he went into all of this with kind of this apprehension and a sort of a sense of dread. Right. He didn't really want to be with this, these heads. And when he was presented to them, how it was literally, he was presented to the heads, not the other way around. <laughs> the heads are presented to him. He described, yeah, exactly that, a very weird sense of unease. And they actually, at one point, after when they were discussing all this stuff and the heads were still present, they turned them around because he kind of felt uncomfortable. And he felt, <sighs> he felt the eyes of the hag or the girl, the witch. Looking at him. Turning. To stare at him as they were turning the head away. I'm getting shivers when you, just as you described that. Isn't that freaky? Yeah. Yeah. So this guy, obviously, he's he's kind of a left of center sort of um, academic, I guess you could say. And he definitely had a particular fascination with the ley lines theory and how, yeah, exactly like I said, the composition of crystal lattices, like this molecular framework of certain minerals could potentially store or encode an electrical charge. Right. Yes. <clears throat> so an imprintation, like, so that to me, an electrical charge, so that to, that's almost like, um, obviously energy, like potential energy or mm-hmm. something like yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how can that be enacted? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so this guy, he had so many cool things to say about these heads and how potentially he didn't believe that it was the person that made them or how they were made that kind of gave them the energy. He thought it was where they were made. So, so again, going okay. to ley lines, that type of thing, like, um, yeah, like uh, storehouses of energy and, and those crossover points where potentially like hot spots, that type of thing. Right. But. So, okay. So he thought it was more about, okay. So it mattered to him more where, cause like he yeah. was the one who came up with the, the stone tapes theory. Is that. Correct? Stone tapes. What's okay. Up? So basically, stone tapes theory, and this is all tied into like what you're already pre- like describing here, mm-hmm. is essentially the idea that certain minerals and certain materials are capable of oh, taking like imprints. Oh, I right? see what you mean. Yeah, recording yeah, so it's them like, almost. Right? So it's mm-hmm. like they can essentially, in a way, if you think about it, in a very crude way of describing it, I guess, very layman's terms would be... Like, and because I'm a layman, because I don't, I don't fully understand it, I guess. But, like, that essentially the Hexham heads, if you believe them to be ancient, could be replaying the same message over and over and over and over Ooh. and over again. I that like there's, that. That there is a... That is very interesting. Right. But, but, again, like, you get inconsistencies with what the heads do in certain places and with certain people. Yeah. 
So is the message different for different people? I don't know. Oh, that's, yeah. Or can it only be played? Can only certain people hear it or see it? Or experience it. Or experience it. it. (laughs) This is interesting, though. Like, Screen goes into a little bit of his sort of more general theses. Thesis, sorry. Thesis. (laughs) We're struggling with our pronunciation today. What's up with that? Am I saying feces or thesis? (laughs) 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 But anyways, um, this was a quote from Screen. He says, at the simplest level... Um, Robin suggests that places and also artifacts can cause specific manifestations and that the crux of the matter being that the elusive earth current studied by lay hunters, earth mystery students, dowsers, and so on might subtly influence the mineral structure at the microscopic level to impress an image at a certain time. Perhaps the dowsers pendulum reads these messages and the psychometrists also invoke the ancient messages without mechanical aid. So then you get the dowsers influence, right? And that sort of thing. This is totally Ed Lead Scallon stuff. It totally is. I know, right? I feel like Ed was probably a dowser himself. Because you know how he went to so many different sites? Anyone who's listening to this right now and they're like, who the hell is Ed Go back Ed and Scallon? listen to our Legend Rock of Rockgate. Or, mm-hmm. yeah, Rockgate, the Legend of Ed. Mm-hmm. Um, and shout out to Chris and Marie with Mad Scientist Podcast. Yeah. Hope they're doing good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But at the same time. I mean, Chris kind of shut us down hard on that episode. Really. <laughs> He's <laughs> really. definitely the skeptical scientist. <laughs> yeah. And but anyways, the yeah. No, it's, it's very cool because, again, yeah, this harkens back to so many things we've discussed on the podcast. The idea of ley lines, right? Again, yeah, we get Ed, Coral Castle. We get Tesla with the Earth energy grid. Earth as a battery, as like a living field of energy that we can tap into. We are batteries and right. we need to just tap that. We tap it, man. Just tap that, bro. (laughs) (laughs) But that's really cool, though. Like, could the Hexam heads have had some ancient energy imprinted on them? That's kind of what I'm leaning towards, but we'll come to that. And is it the werewolf kind of weird god, demigod, um, or like demi-devil type thing? Is that, is that like a manifestation of this energy? Is it a warning? Is it an omen? Like... I don't know. This thing, I, that's, the thing I, never does anything. It never, like, steals any children. It doesn't murder anyone. No, but that was There's weird. No the way, but dead. the way you described it, though, is, like, Anne Ross felt compelled to follow it. Even though even though she was just basically, you know, standing in perpetual fear. Yeah. But so you're is still this a con- witchcraft? Right? Because that's what that Hexing? makes me think. Because it's like, you do not... There, <laughs> like, if there's something... If there's a monster, you run. If there's a witch, it's vague in between. Because you like the fact that she felt compelled to follow it implies that there's a beckoning, a conjuring, something mm. that's something else associated with the creature she's seen that's getting her to follow it, and the reason behind that. Why? Yeah, where are you going? Why? Where, what is why would she, Why would she feel compelled to follow such a creature? What I'm curious too is like, where were the heads in her house at this time? Maybe the heads were the creature. <laughs> like, right? Like, if she's not physically holding them or seeing them in the same room. Or they're projecting something. There's some sort of... It's associated with them. I do believe that. Because not all of... All, mm. all, not all of these families can be making this stuff up. Right? No. And that's just it. That's where Scraton, like, that Paul Scraton, he's like, the more I dive into this, I... The le- like the more I believe in the veracity of these people's statements, yeah, it's just where this all fits in, and w- essentially that like it, uh, someone must be lying, right? Or like, or, or I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know. It, it's a it's a stupid thing to lie about, though. Where, where, to what end? That's and we'll, exactly. And we'll, it. and we'll get to that in a minute here. 
Did you already make this point here? Sorry, that hot, that uh, it lacked calcium silicate. That's no, we haven't actually mentioned that. That was another really important part of this because, yeah, Ross's senior academic advisor Hodson, um, who did the initial composition um, analysis on the heads, he said that these could not have been of modern cement origins because they lacked calcium silicate. Which was common in the composition at the time in the 70s or whatever for making casts of things. Exactly. And this comes into the next sort of turn of the screw, I guess you could say, right? Because there, yeah, there's some people that would say that these heads are not very ancient. They're of a much more modern origins. Okay. And that would be Desmond Craigie. Yeah. And he is the man who claims to have made these heads for his daughter in 1956. So, so we go from people thinking ancient Celtic <laughs> origin hexed to this guy coming around saying, I made them. Basically, yeah. Uh, he claims to have fashioned them during his leisure time um, during lunch at work. And so initially I was like, this account is so vague. I don't Super know who vague. this guy is. What is he doing? At first he was described as a lorry driver. And I'm like, what? Like, okay, so what what are you doing making these in your leisure time? Yeah, first of all, where are you getting the materials? How are you casting it? You'd have to make your own casts. You can't just go buy those from the store. Hi, can I please have two um, slightly different creepy head casts, please? No, because apparently what he said, he didn't didn't cast them, but he used the casting materials because he actually worked at a stone casting, an artificial stone casting facility. And basically he said that he took material... And whittled it with his own, like, knife during lunch and then let them set, right? So let them harden. And then he gave them to his daughter because his daughter was asking what he does for work. What do you do all day, Daddy? Where do you go? And all this stuff. And so apparently he made her three heads. Yeah, I'm just... Three, I'm, not two. I'm over here rolling my eyes for all hmm. you people at home. I wouldn't, I wouldn't roll them so fast, Andrew, because apparently Desmond Craigie was a resident of number three Reed Avenue for over 30 years. I that No, I totally. And his totally. father was actually a tenant of the house about a year prior to the Robson family moving in. Right. The reason I'm rolling my eyes is for three reasons. First reason. He was described as having a completely different occupation in multiple other sources. I believe at the time that he was interviewed by Scraton, he was a lorry driver. Okay. And then at the fair time enough. that he was making the heads about like 18, 16, 18 years prior. Fair, fair enough. Second problem it? with it. Okay, 1956. Okay, you weren't a lorry driver back then. You were working for a, you were working for a cement casting company. What's the name of the, name of the company? Where was it located and what did you make? headstones where you're making like you know stone pillars for uh, for for staircase like what wh- you know very easy to prove very easy to show where you worked and and right mm-hmm. what what where when and why and exactly. we don't have any of that so you would you'd have to do some digging see if there is any artificial stone casting facilities in the area of hexham third and <laughs> third beef <laughs> i have to say is that who the hell makes this for their kids you know what's oh, actually I'm sorry, interesting? I, I don't understand what you do for a living, Daddy. Oh, that's that, that explains it really well. Here's three obscure, ugly, freaky he, stone heads. And he whittled the faces on them himself, he said. He actually went to visit them at, um, what was it, the Institute or some museum where they were being stored. And he was like, oh, yeah, those are them right there. But what's even weirder, you're saying, like, why, what kind of kid would play with this? If it's 1956, it's post-war time. There's not a lot of toys to play with. 56 okay? is quite far past wartime. But even so, right? If you're living in public housing, yeah. you're not going to have a lot of stuff. 
Um, better off with a stick. Another thing, this is kind of creepy. This was a quote from Screton's Tales of the Hexam Heads. Um, from, like, yeah, when he interviewed uh, this guy, Craigie. He said, quote, She would use, she being his daughter, would use the silver paper from penguin chocolate biscuits as eyes. One got broken, and I threw it in the bin. The others just got kicked around and must have landed up where the lads found them. End quote. Interesting. That's interesting, though. It's like that, honestly, the silver paper part reminds me of Red Dragon. And mm. he uses the Freaky. pieces of mirror in their eyes. Yeah. That's creepy, man. Like, what if, what if even that? Like, you know, like, I don't know, like some sort of reflection, They're... some sort of like, what if they like, what if they took her soul? Oh, these little yeah. things because like you don't get nancy that was her name nancy yeah. you don't Where's get her nancy at? you don't get her no. side of this at all no there, there there's 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 a there's fishiness to all of this you do get however apparently he had a son this desmond craggy and a, when the hexam heads were refound and like all this publicity was happening in the 70s he's the his, one who brought it to his, his son was like attention. hey dad what the heck is all this like so you're around 1800 years ago we kind of joked around with them <laughs> it's like this whatever right but very weird. And, like, okay. again, like, I am going to take Paul Screeton for his, like, an- judgment of this guy. And he said, like, this, he's he's just, uh, you know, Joe Blow, not not making anything crazy about yeah. it. He's just saying, yeah, there's a couple heads. Yeah. I just feel like everyone shouldn't get so worked up. Right. Because they aren't of, like, they're not an archaeological find, essentially. Yeah. I've just got so much beef to pick with all of this. I mean, and, and, and not to say that he's lying, like not to say that he's lying by any means. No. Um, but it's, I feel like it's a big leap to go from, because here's the thing. Um, the two researchers that initially came into possession of it, and I'm already forgetting their names. I'm scrolling back down here. Roger uh, Miquette and mm-hmm. Smith. Those guys weren't just <laughs> nobodies in the field. Um, mm-hmm. They have a lot of articles that so they pumped out in the 70s. for them to mistake it? For them to screw up that badly. On Not to origi- say it hasn't been done before. And, no, very true. But for the initial analysis to be screwed up that badly, then for a Celtic expert to screw up that badly, and then for a third party doing chemical analysis on it to say this is not modern, it would be so easy to tell if it's modern concrete from a plant that the guy worked at in the 50s. You would think. No, you, you would- wouldn't think. You would. You would definitively well, be able it, to like, tell if, if they, it is if they were Because they are of sandstone. That, that's the main composition. And if they were buried, who knows? Like, obviously, England is very wet. Like, you know, what, what type of... Um, this, isn't, this isn't the 1920s. Like, even in the 70s, like we, they, the technology was there to tell... You can carbon date stuff. You but can this do, is it. You, this like, is right? what like, becomes even more interesting because Anne Ross's expert, Professor Hodge, Hodgson at Southampton University, did the initial analysis. And all he did, he used his eyes and he used a microscope. And he didn't actually... He didn't do any invasive... He didn't remove any samples or core any samples out right. or anything like that. But even even with a microscope, the porous nature of concrete is very, very obvious. Mm-hmm. Like, it looks like it should. You know what I mean? Like, there's you just... Think, it, yeah. it, it, it's just very... No, but that's just very, it, though. Like, we're, we're, we're heading there right now. So yeah, the material of the heads, yeah. like, this is widely... Well, not widely debated. There were two analyses done. One we've already covered. The second was done by a Dr. Douglas Robson, so you got another Robson here, not mm. unrelated to the family, right. of Newcastle University, who concluded that the material was artificial and unlike any naturally occurring sandstone in the area, right. more like an artificial cement. According to the Urban Prehistorian WordPress website, 
Quote, the former and earlier analysis seems to have been based on microscope work and limited visual analysis, while the latter appears to have been based on invasive removal of a sample for analysis. So. Okay. So, two things about that that are strange to me, too. It's like, it's okay. I, first of all, for everyone listening out there, I don't want you to think that I'm just like, I'm hell-bent on proving that these <laughs> things are of Celtic origin. But there's just like the wording coming from all of these people suggesting that it might not be is just mm. a little bit suspect. Like, for example, concluded that the material was artificial and unlike any naturally occurring sandstone area, more like an artificial cement. What does that mean? But that's just it, though, because they don't actually say... Like, this this guy, Dr. Douglas Robson, that did another analysis, the, the second analysis, he does not disclude that this could be, um, from hundreds of years ago, could have been a Brit that just happened to gather some stands, stands, <laughs> sands, and just kind of mold them together. Made because some essentially, sort of a- we didn't get the whole quote here, but essentially what the particles appeared to look like they were so well-rounded and so um it was formed by erosional action of some sort whether at the beach so at the shore so by caused by wave action or caused by what they they normally see this in say the sahara in deserts right where you get that wave action of the actual literal dunes rolling over each other see but then that would imply that they're much 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 older obviously right like they're old you can't just bury something in 56 doesn't mean that has to be like so, 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 so that version is different then. So like potentially it would be like the materials themselves are ancient and then they were reworked by Desmond mm, Craigie. Perhaps. Right. So that. For me, it's less interesting whether or not they were of ancient Celtic origins or not. I feel like this is more a cursed object type of thing. And even this guy, um, oh my gosh, there's so many names in this, not Robson, but Robbins makes the point that he basically suggests that the location is the important aspect, right? So essentially, if re- Reed Ave or Three Reed Ave, the specific address where these heads were found, was some sort of Celtic shrine or perhaps was a crossover point of like ley lines or the world energy grid type thing that he was really all about, right? perhaps the discarding of the heads by Desmond Craigie 20 years previous or less than 20 years previous it almost could have been absorbing and rearranging the lattice frameworks of its molecular structure, right? And okay. then perhaps right. perhaps imbuing or taking on or imprinting some sort of energy, energy or image itself. or whatever. Yeah. Because when I think ritual site, we we just watched the movie The Ritual. <laughs> we did. <laughs> it doesn't sound positive, people. Like when you it's hear ritual site, I, I think like suffering and blood, essentially. Yes. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Um, Sounds about right. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> suffering uh, and blood. <laughs> those are those are the main thing. I mean, you don't. There's no such thing as a ancient sacrifice where it was like everyone holds hands and sings to the gods. So let's just. No. You'd think there would be though. Maybe some well, of it would be. Well, there definitely pop. are cultures like that that are more peaceful. Name one. <laughs> Not off the top of my head. I don't know. No, I know. They're, they're definitely. It, yeah, it's a thing, but. Um, <laughs> Definitely not in our genre, that's no, for sure. No, yeah. no, So, okay. This is where it gets right. even weirder, right? Because, like, where the heck are these heads now? So the heads have since disappeared. So we sit here now doing this episode, 2018. The heads are missing. Gone. They're around somewhere, mm-hmm. but they are missing. Paul um, Screeton has... He has the head that was carved by the Robson boy, and he also has the... Desmond Craigie reproduction, which is what you see on his quest for the Hexam Heads cover. Yes. And interestingly, 
these um, these two heads he has in his possession to this day, and he describes how his kids hate them. Again, yeah. like he brought them into the house, and they're just like. Nah, and these nah, nah, are nah. the reproductions. Yeah, they're not even That's the originals. Odd. It is very odd. Yeah. Creepy. So the question is, where the heck did these things end up? So it's like trying to retrace the steps, and they, I mean, they changed hands so, so many times, right? So it started Mm -hmm. with the Robsons. It went from the Robsons to the original researchers, um, oh my gosh, I keep forgetting, there's Smith and Miquette. Then they were passed on to Ross. Ross. And Hodson. Hodson. Mm -hmm. Then from those two I guess that Robson guy, too. Yeah. But they then, but then, well, Professor but then also, Deerman from Newcastle has them for a small period of time. Then those are then they're passed on to chemist Don Robbins for a time. We haven't even talked about Professor Deerman, really. He didn't. Ha- he I mean, did conclude his own sort of analysis, and he said that they were artificially molded rather than carved. Right, which is kind of interesting. Which contradicts Craigie's claims. Not really, no, because yes, it Craigie does, no, because he carved them no, by he, hand. No, yeah, I know. No, 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 no. He he carved a wet stone. So he's essentially carving mold. Like, or sorry, mold. <laughs> he's carving clay, and then the clay sets, right? So it's essentially every single piece of pottery. It's the same idea, right? Like where you're essentially just you have a bush, and yeah. you're carving a little bit of meh, 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 and you let it set and do its thing, and then. So that's like fifty-fifty in between, then molded rather than car like you know what i mean like he's either an artiste think, he's like no he, no he's an art he should have been an artist then if that's the case right he shouldn't have been working for a concrete factory he should have been a sculptor because th- those are pretty unique faces to come up with just off of holding it in your hand and using going like this what i picture in my head is that he made a family for nancy he made a mother and a father and probably a kid and the kid probably broke so you get the mom and the dad and they both look they look weird because he's not a he's not a toy maker he's not gonna make them look all cutesy with little red cheeks and little uh, eyelashes and all this stuff like so that's why they look creepy and weird and kind of archaic yeah. If you're just like a, I, a, a, a worker in a facility and you're just like, hey, I'm just going to... I, okay. And I've then also also the, the pigmentation on the, the hag or the woman, the, yeah. the girl, maybe he like painted them. He put hair on them or something or whatever. Or maybe she did. Maybe his daughter did. But these are things that are so easily analyzed. Paint. Lead, That's true. You think they take a chip? Um, like, uh, the other thing, too, that doesn't add up to me is, like, if these were from a facility that he worked for, is it why are they both different? Why are the colors different? Why is the composition of them different? Ooh, that's a good point. Right? The that's other thing really is, too, point. is even if they were the same and you could tr- try to chalk it up to weathering, well, they were in the same location. So how would two things weather completely differently? Doesn't make sense. That None is, of this yeah. adds up to his story. And another thing, sorry, sorry, Desmond, we're just going to rip on you a little bit here, but, but... He did provide, because he wanted to clarify, he wanted to say, like, no, I'm capable of doing this, I can re- reproduce it, essentially, and he did, which was the one that um, Screeton had in his possession at the time of writing, and apparently still does, Right. but he didn't do the tenons, he didn't make the tenons, the, the little um, protrusions that would have helped the head sit on something, or sit into something, kind yeah, of set them yeah. in. So that, to me, is kind of another point of curiosity. Yeah, because... Per- perhaps, you know what I'm thinking... That is totally plausible here too. Is that Desmond Craigie is mistaken? He did carve a couple of heads for his daughter, the ones. but these aren't the ones. And maybe in his head he's thinking, well, you know, it's been like ish twenty years or whatever, and they buried like they could have gone under some sort of erosion or whatever. That's a possibility too. We haven't actually brought that up at all. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Could be, yeah. But he was quite 
he, he wanted to set the record straight. And I don't know. I don't know if he's just an enterprising person that just wanted publicity. It's hard to say, like, back in the 70s, right? Mm-hmm. And we're also not from the UK. Uh, not to say it's that much different than, like, Canada mm-hmm. in the 70s. But definitely there would be some subtle differences. In subtle terms of, like, reasons yeah. why people would want to make the papers say. Very true. Like very that, true. Right? It is like, the 70s, too. So we don't know. And the 70s was also... Yeah, I like to take the to put the skeptical hat on, which I rarely do, and everyone listening knows that. Um, the seventies was horror horror film, like yeah, like rough, gore like of, it was but. like that. That was the decade where that stuff really like kind of took off, right? Because the sixties was a little more tame. You got kind of sci fi horror ish movies in the sixties, but the seventies was like the classic cheesy like mm-hmm. we just rented like a dvd the other day where it was like oh, five so 1970s horror films on one disc and it was like they're all terrible but in such a great way like it just you know what i mean like <laughs> so it's definitely an era where people were leaning in the direction of paranormal and things like that i guess mm-hmm. maybe he was kind of had just watched a movie and was just like hey these guys are talking about my heads and then i want to get in on this <laughs> or something you know what i mean like i don't but know it was apparently it was his son that brought him back into it mm. But or, maybe maybe it was just the location, too. They're like, oh, number three, um, Reed Rav, like, maybe that's us. Like, that has to be us. Right. But we have one other kind of crazy person to touch on. Yeah. And he's kind of the end point for this, because the heads disappear after they come into his possession. So Don Robbins, yeah, he ends up passing it along to a man named Frank Hyde. What an awesome name, mm-hmm. I just have to say. Who, like you mentioned earlier, specialized in the ancient practice of dowsing, so searching for water. Um, and we talked about that in a few other episodes too, like our Egypt related episodes, I think he's the last person known to have the heads. Mm -hmm. Basically he, they were passed on to Frank. Don went to recontact Frank again and he had disappeared along with the heads. Disappeared. According to Screeton, he says that Screeton, yeah, Screeton. I was like, have I been saying this wrong the entire time? (laughs) (laughs) That would be something we would do. Yeah. (laughs) But apparently... This Frank Hyde, he was a dowser and an astrologer. Apparently, he was in a very serious car accident and was, quote-unquote, unreachable by Robbins or anyone else. So, maybe he had the heads in his possession. Maybe he had a very unfortunate accident because of the heads. Maybe he got possessed by the werewolf thing, and now he's gone. (laughs) There's three (laughs) options. There's only three options. (laughs) (laughs) Only three. Oh, the power of three! Oh my gosh, that will get into a theory too. Yeah. Because like, I think it's very interesting how, again, like we did mention this right off the bat, that the Robsons essentially moved into a household within two weeks, find these strange little stone heads that closely resemble the head that he had made, Colin yeah. Robson had right. made for a school project. That was weird to me. Yeah. And the fact that you can tie that into the fact that if you believe anything to do with Desmond Craigie, there was three originally. But another thing that doesn't add up about that is that Desmond Craigie also did not report any unusual or paranormal activity related to his heads. No. So maybe it was the fact that once they got lost, maybe they were, maybe they were angry. They well, got, here's the thing. They got upset because they were abandoned by his daughter, Nancy. And so they're just sitting there in the dirt for 20 years stewing about it. And they're like, you know what? <laughs> we're going to stir some stuff up here. Well, uh, sure. Gonna- so... Just to break this down, I mean, I think we feel, I feel like we already have, but just to like clarify, moving into our theories and discussion section pretty quick here, that there's sort of, there's a few different variations of how we can interpret this. There's the idea that these heads are of ancient Celtic origin and are either related to the occult Celtic witchcraft or some sort of ritual sacrifice that happened at that site. 
because they were so obsessed with heads in Celtic tradition, which we'll get into in a sec. That's mm-hmm. one version. The other version is that the heads themselves were not Celtic in origin, that they just happened essentially, in lack of a better way of phrasing it, wrong place, wrong time, mm-hmm. that they were created by Desmond Craigie modern times, the material doesn't matter, and that they ended up in a place that was the site of uh, immense energy because of this Celtic ritual site and took on evil energy, essentially. Some sort of uh, yeah. whatever. That's another version. Or the ley lines. That's another. Ley lines is another one that these things physically have, that they're, like you said, like the, the, the actual composition of them has changed because of their location and that they are now emitting energies that are from that site. Mm-hmm. Doesn't explain the where, where sheep, where... Well, is that just a manifestation of those energies, though? Like, that's, like, a, a dark manifestation. You know what, what I mean? What does that mean, though? Dark manifestation? Either Something it has evil. some sort of intent, or it... I don't even know. That's... Should we should we move into our theories and discussion section and just yeah. go from there? Because let's just start off with Celtic origins. Um, okay. And uh, we'll put up this... Uh, I have an image here in front of us, <laughs> and we'll, we'll, we'll put it up. Freaky. It's staring at us, and it's freaking me out. Um, so anyway, this is, here's, here's a bit of a background on the cult of the head in Celtic mythology, because the Celts were obsessed with the heads, heads, human heads. Mm -hmm. They would sever them from their enemies, put them on sticks, tie them together in lines of them and, and string them across the entrances of their, of their homes Mm. and stuff like that. A lot of it was obviously related to the display of military prowess. Absolutely. Uh, There would be the, yeah, just the power of the head itself as the seed of the soul. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So this head here that we have staring at us and we'll post is an example of just that Celtic head, stone head, and, and it dates to British Iron Age, essentially Roman Britain, right around 500 BC. Okay. And it was found around uh, Wentcliff Beck. Don't know exactly where that is. Hmm. Um, man, the names in the UK are hilarious. Eh? Love it. Um, but it's just the fact that this object was found near a stream suggests that it had that it was of not only of Celtic origin but an offering to the gods because waterways, streams, rivers, things like that were seen as gateways, okay. passageways in Celtic or in Celtic mythology. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was kind of unique. But basically, Celtic carved heads are found throughout the areas of, of Europe, Western mm-hmm. Europe, and Eastern Europe too, because they had a huge swath of territory, basically, like the Celts, quote unquote. Ethnically, within the blanket term Celt, there's a ton of ethnic groups, essentially, right? <laughs> I'd imagine. That's um, awesome, yeah. But, uh, yeah, so definitely the the fact that small stone heads are common in Celtic antiquity mm-hmm. makes me think that there's a chance that these are definitely of Celtic origin. Because, yep. like, once you guys take a look at this head that we have here, and there's a bunch more if you Google it, they look a lot like the Hexham heads. So they it's do. either pure coincidence... Or, like, you know what I mean? Like, if Desmond Craigie, unless he was, like, a historian and he was into this stuff, like, that's pretty coincidental. You'd think, yeah. Especially the, exactly the way that the hair was described on the heads, how it had, like, that um, back-to-front kind of um, orientation of stripes that was associated with Celtic sort of hair, I guess, or what they would carve on these things. Yeah, exactly. And then what else was there? There was something to do with... 
Actually, no, I think that was the only definitive real feature. Because, like, right. like uh, Anne Ross said, there is no such thing as the typical quintessential No, there Celtic isn't, kid. because there's so many different ones. Some have mustaches, and that's very typical for certain oh, yeah. areas. Others don't. And we were talking about that, how, like, oh, mustaches. That almost Those sounds look- more, like, oriental. Yeah, exactly. In origin, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? But apparently there's been over 2,000 stone Celtic heads that have been unearthed within this area. Mm-hmm. And they're all of ancient origin. The question is whether or not they were carved for occult black magic purposes or not. And right. that's and that's and that's the conversation we're having with the Hexham heads. Well a lot of them were protection too. Like they put them around shrines and that type of thing. And that's where the again the tenons um that would sit very nicely into little niches or niches in the wall there. Um that's where that kind of comes into play too. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I mean, and their, their sort of their veneration for the human head was only amplified with the introduction of Christianity, Mm -hmm. right? Because this brought on, you know, you, well, more like adds more to the mythology, right? It does. More to the, more so the negative side of mythologies, right? More Mm -hmm. malevolent ideas within folklore and things like that. Like more so like curses, cursed heads, things that you would need to do to avoid negative things rather than the latter. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, which like was essentially the Druids. Um, were, was it was an ancient connection that I came across looking into this that I thought was interesting. And we talked about the ancient Druids in some of our older episodes, but what was interesting about them was, like, they worshipped the head as well. Like, mm. it was definitely, like, that was the source So of, is he an even earlier sort of... Yeah, before the Celts. Yeah. But the interesting thing about the ancient druids is basically they were like, they were known for frequenting oak forests and they were basically known as being priests, teachers, judges. They were the people who of knowledge and they were basically witches and warlocks. (laughs) They were known Hmm. as that, but they were the ones who practiced benevolent witchcraft, Um, benevolent folk folk magic. Yeah. Herbs, mm -hmm. um, basically like just knowledge of the earth. Okay. In a way, right? They did perform ritual sacrifice. That was one of their, that was their jam. That was one of their things. So they definitely decapitated people, sacrificed them by burning the bodies and things like that. But overall, the druids were positive. So black magic didn't really come from this. Interesting. They didn't really have a concept of the devil, hey? Or like... I mean, they're definitely... Probably would have a, been... a concept of evil, I would imagine. Oh, absolutely. And, like, I didn't go down the rabbit hole with mm-hmm. that. But it was just curious because these are the same sites where these ancient druids would have been practicing, traveling, spreading their messages, collecting their... And the Celts kind of would, like have, would have um, been sort of like... So, sorry. They're like <laughs> descendants, really right? Like, that. they're almost like... I was going to say, yeah, they were the descendants. I was going to say they were the, the preceding whatever, but no, yeah. they weren't. The, the Druids were preceding the Celts. Right. And it's very interesting, too, because, yeah, like we've said, the severed human head is a very important, it's central religious symbol for the Celts. Yeah. And like we said, yes, obviously to, um, su- like, suspend, like, literally hanging from trees, heads. Yeah. Uh, or on sticks or on um, fence posts, that type of thing. Again, in, in temples, but... It, it goes as far as using gold-plated heads, like skulls, as drinking cups. Yep. And there's this hilarious joke that Screeton makes because he starts off his little booklet talking about how Desmond Craigie was just basically laughed out of every pub in Britain <laughs> over his story. Yeah. And how there was this joke about, they're joking, oh, is it a good head? Is it a good head? Because on his beer, but they're like, you know, like... 
Right. The joke is that no one's actually talking about the Hexam heads. But it's funny because, like, Screen's like, huh, like, back in the day, I wonder if they would have had a good head on that mead. (laughs) 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 I was was drinking it from a human head cup. Anyways, I thought that was so funny. funny. But, no, so obviously this has a very rich tradition. Like we mentioned, Anne Ross kind of suggested that with the advent of the Romans, perhaps a lot of this uh, was kind of converted into more symbolic form. So stone heads, uh, carved heads from wood, that type of thing. Would have slowly sort of supplanted it. Um, so could these Hexam heads be an example of this tr- transition or something? Yeah. That's kind of the question. Right. Here. The other interesting thing about Celtic folklore, there's many instances in the literature that basically talks about heads continuing to live, speak, entertain, do continue to live after they're decapitated. Right? It, it, there, there's this what? almost like... That's very Harry Potter-esque then, Very right? much so. Or like uh, Futurama, where you like plop them in the jar and you yeah. like Richard Nixon talking to you or whatever. Totally. But uh, that I found very interesting because it's like that's in their folklore and that's with like real heads, physical heads. Well, could the same could could it be the same for stone heads? Do you know what I mean? Like, could the energies from a real that they're implying takes place here, like with a sac- sacrifice, and then you have a head continuing to live, speak, entertain, do its thing? Could that be? Could that have, could that, could those energies be implanted and essentially like, what, what's, what's the word I'm looking for in these, in these items used for ritual? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Yeah. No, I, yeah, that's, that's totally plausible. I'm, I feel like my vocabulary is lacking today. I'm is like, it? I'm, I'm, I'm not finding the words I need to describe <laughs> these things, but. <laughs> well, there's just so much going on here. Like, it's kind of crazy. Like, we're talking about werewolves. We're talking about hexed, like, things. We're talking about ancient history. All this yeah. stuff just coalescing together. So witchcraft or otherwise pretty much is where we're at. Kind of. It's like, is this just because... Do I mean, oh man, I can't wait to hear what you guys out there think about this. Mm. Like, we want to get some feedback. Like, do you think these objects are cursed? Do you think they're hexed? Is this occult, ancient, black magic witchcraft that was taking place at one of these Celtic sites? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, definitely the experiences of Anne Ross and those people, like, the feelings they got makes me think that, that, that that's a thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, me too. But it is very bizarre, though, how the boys on the original find didn't have any of these feelings at all. Right. Too innocent, maybe? I don't know. Like, Hmm. just oblivious to it? Not quite there yet? Perhaps. You know? Perhaps. Perhaps. You know, and there's there's been other things discovered in the UK and throughout Western Europe that are just dead indications of witchcraft. Mm-hmm. And it's, there's a bunch of different ones. One of them's um, the Lazark tablet, which is very common. It's basically a lead tablet that would be inscribed with whatever you wanted to curse someone with. And then it's what? rolled up because lead was malleable and nailed through. Oftentimes there were bits of, you know, the actual like person, almost like voodoo-esque type stuff, right? Oh, Where yeah. there's like body parts included, animal mm-hmm. parts, things like that. Okay. Freaky, freaky. So the evidence of ancient witchcraft witchcraft is there. It's just a question of, does the cult of the head in Celtic mythology tie into that? If Anne Ross believed this to be a ritual site, (laughs) I don't know. I've got, (laughs) and I actually didn't even include this in the notes, but I'm just going to throw it out there because we were talking about it today. Like when we're talking about ritual sites and weird stuff, there was a Celtic site discovered just a few years ago, 2015, I think, in the UK where there were basically, like, 
animals that had been hybridized. Oh, yeah. And buried as a part of a ritual. sewn together. So you had, like, the head of a cow and the head of a sheep together. It's basically vivisection. Pretty much the island of Dr. Moreau, Celtic style. Wait, sorry, this was dated from thousands of years ago, though? Oh, Celtic Celtic origin. Okay, okay. So, like, 300 BC. Because, obviously, like, vivisection was very popular in the 1800s. I don't know if it was actually vivisection. Like, that word was not used in the article. But what they said was they were finding hybrid animals. Hybrid animals don't happen naturally unless it's like a donkey and a, a horse and a whatever yeah. and you get a donkey. You're not going to get not, two heads. You're not going to get butt. no, you're not going to get a duck and a goat. <laughs> a duck. Right? You're not going to get a whatever and a whatever. So like there is some weird black magic stuff going on there. Yeah. That's not normal. No. I don't yeah. Poor animals. So if they actually did excavate the site of number 3 Reed Avenue, I wonder what they would find. Oof, because this is either just the biggest misinterpretation of all time mm-hmm. or there is some weird shit going on here. Yeah. That's my take on it. Either or. Not that I'm done. Not that That's you're it. done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely not done. Because we still have to kind of talk about this werewolf thing here. Yeah. Slash where sheep slash like half human, half wolf, half sheep. I don't know. Yeah. And, and what does this have to do with the heads? How? Yeah. Is it actually directly related? Is it not? Like, there, I find yeah. this, <laughs> it's very rich to say yeah, the least. Definitely. But there were accounts from the early 1900s of a wolf-like creature in the Hexham area that yep. were attacking people. Um may have had paranormal sorts of implications as well. Yeah, because there was like lots of just disemboweled sheep. It was it was very much like a monster and not like a typical wolf attack, harkening back to like the Beast of Jevadan episode oh, type, yeah, type yeah, of, totally. type of experience, you know? Exactly. It was very cool too because uh, we actually had uh, this sort of rendering of the story by none other than Charles Fort. <laughs> so like Fortiana, all that kind of huh, stuff. Yeah. Kind of like the OG of all of this. Right. But um, yeah, no, he he wrote about this particular story. It's kind of funny. Like, this is how it starts off. In October 1904, a wolf belonging to Captain Barnes of Shotley Bridge, 12 miles from Newcastle. And then in brackets, like, and incidentally, an old beachcombing stomping ground, excellent Chinese restaurant there, <laughs> which was added in after by the beachcombing blog. <laughs> Anyways, it escaped um, and was soon afterward killing sheep. Sorry, the killing of sheep was reported from the region of Hexham, about 20 miles from Newcastle. Mm-hmm. So we get Hexham, you get a wolf potentially, and there was quite a big um, scandal over this wolf. They call it the Allendale Wolf. So, so this is a explanation for those events in the early 1900s. It's, but it's like, so is this like a reincarnation of the wolf, or were the heads around even at this time buried at what would end up being Number Three Reed Avenue, and this is the same phenomena that's taking mm. place, and we're discounting the Desmond Craig in 1956. True. Yeah, you could you know go that I mean? route because. Assuming mm. they're assuming they're linked, or it's just the location. I, if, I, I'm I'm leaning towards that. Like we're coming down to the end here, and I'm almost thinking to myself that like you know what, this is like a Celtic Skinwalker Ranch type situation going on here. There was some mm-hmm. s- there was some stuff that happened at that site. Skinwalker. That really. Well, we, and we get we, the account of the wolf, gone. right? That was supposedly impenetrable by bullets. Yes. Yes. Or mostly impenetrable. There's a f- small chunk of it. And it was like massive, like way bigger than it should have been. Hmm. That's interesting too because I didn't read the entire excerpt because like not all of it is there from Fort as far as this particular wolf instance. Mm-hmm. But it's, it says at the very bottom here, it says, Fort's theories then become unprintable 
at least for the purposes of this blog, which is strangehistory.net, um, and involve divine electricity. Interesting. So that's where we're kind of getting into more of the ley lines, more of the um, Robson, or sorry, Robins. Yeah. <laughs> There's too many Robsons and Robinson. I feel like we've gone from Robins, Robin, Robson, Robinson, Robertson. Oh dear. I feel Don't like, even I say feel, that. I feel like <laughs> <laughs> no, it's the Robson. Robinson. <laughs> <laughs> There's Robbins and Robson. Yes. But there's two Robsons in the story. There's the family okay, Robsons and then there's people. the <laughs> then there's the intellectual, the guy that did the analysis later right. on. Okay. But no, that is interesting. I would really like to dig into more fort theories concerning this divine electricity and that Allendale Wolf, because yeah. this could potentially have more um, more stock in it than we're originally or no, initially giving it. So that's the question. I mean, well, and I guess I'll ask it to you. I mean, because this all by the end of nineteen oh five the attacks had stopped. And the Allendale wolf had sort of disappeared a little bit. Do you think that this is at all linked to the Celt- to any Celtic lore or the cult of the head in any way? It's Honestly, hard to draw lines. But. What I'm thinking in my head right now, as far this is so loose, so loose, no basis for this at all except for in my own brain. But I'm kind of picturing my head here because we did come across the oh shoot, not the tulpa. What's it called again? The, the puka. The puka. Which is essentially what it looks like is mostly man with the head of a goat or head of a sheep or whatever, yeah. just like a ram. Yeah. What I'm picturing is perhaps maybe some unfortunate soul was beheaded. Their head was taken. They were essentially invaded by a devilish spirit of swords who, who actually reincarnated them as this, this aberration of nature, right? And... Essentially, this thing is kind of just like a spirit, kind of like a bagul that can come out. And like maybe, maybe once Desmond Craigie made these little heads for his daughter and she put those reflective mirrors on their eyes, perhaps they actually became mirrors to real life and she gave them power. (sighs) And so in a sense, what they're seeing is the body that belongs to the head of the hag, right? Because she seems to be the centerpiece of this, not the... No, it seems to be the... It's almost like... It is an association with the two of the heads, but that is a stronger force. So perhaps her soul or his soul, whatever, is actually what we see, or what not we, but like what Ross saw, what her son saw, and what the Dodd saw is this entity, this spirit that has been perverted. It's been um, like, yeah, it's been essentially just invaded by the devil and is right. kind of just living in this purgatory. Mm-hmm. And when you get energies like adolescent sort of energies and uh, these types of things that poltergeist kind of manifest towards and all that, mm-hmm. then maybe this is what we're experiencing. That's I don't know. An interesting that's, that's take. That's way out there. That is way out there. <laughs> I like it though. I like it too. <laughs> I definitely, I, I definitely was. Uh, it was interesting coming across the the Celtic lore of the puka, though. Like that, that was an interesting connection mm-hmm. to this because it does. That was the only thing of local lore that would really match up with those sightings. Do you? Um, what were the specifics of that? Like, so basically, the puka, and, I, and it's, it's spelled differently, so it, it's it could be pronounced slightly differently, but it's essentially a Celtic shapeshifter. And you'll you'll Google it and it'll come up as Irish, whatever. It's ancient Celtic shapeshifter appearing as goat, sheep, um, you know, like rabbit, things mm. like that. Very much the same animals that any witch would transform into. You know okay. what I mean? Um, so the half man, half ram, half goat definitely matches up with this. It's like, and then that... <sighs> 
Yeah. The, if, if this story didn't include were-sheep and werewolf sightings, it would be a totally different story. It would. Because, because this implies that there's like an opening up of some other worldly portal or that these are manifestations that aren't actually real. They're just like they're visions of the people that and, and they're meant to be afraid. But for what purpose is my question. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, hmm. So many questions. I feel like the more we dive into this, um, the less conclusive it all gets. I know. I, I feel like we're already kind of, I, th- I feel like we're at the th- our, our, our final theories and thoughts here. We've kind of given our pet theories. Yeah. Um, the, the one other interesting thing, though, actually, before we finish up, um, the house today. Oh, yeah. Kind of interesting. Um, and uh-huh. this is a little bit dated, obviously, because it's already, this is already 10 years old. Uh, but according to one blog that I came across, um, the house has been reoccupied many times since the 1970s. Mm-hmm. Because of the fact that it's like public housing, housing, public housing. But apparently multiple residents that have continued to come in there have reported strange events. Hmm. Not necessarily the same things, but just unease. Like, well, let's just, lots of people are coming and going from this place. There's no long-term stays. Okay. Let's just say that. And then allegedly in 2008, there was a young family who moved into the same address, number three, Reed Avenue. Mm -hmm. And this was right after his father, the father of the two had moved out. The guy's name was Martin Deegan. Mm -hmm. Or no, sorry, sorry, sorry. They had a, sorry, never mind. Sorry. (laughs) The guy, the guy's dad, I have the name of these people here. I can pull it up in a sec. But his father moved out. Then they had father, as in like a priest. Right. Father Martin Deegan uh, come in and perform a, like a sanctifying rite in 2011 on the place because there had been were-sheep sightings nearby. Like, multiple. Why are they describing them as were-sheep? Because they're half-man, half-sheep. Half, okay, so half-ram type thing. Right. Picture the goat from the witch. But with... The body of a human. Yeah. And then picture me... Black running as fast as I can in the opposite direction. <laughs> like, no. <laughs> but no. would you like to live... Deliciously. I'd rather just eat a piece of cake. Would you like to taste butter? <laughs> Can't remember what else he says in that oh, scene. Oh, yeah. That's freaky, though. Yeah, the simple things back in the day. Mm-hmm. The sweet, the sweet taste of chocolate. Mm-hmm. Who knows? So. But, yeah, no, yeah, I'm kind of, I, I honestly have no real conclusions with this. No. I just think it's a bunch of really crazy stuff. And I don't really want to ever come across anything like this in my own life. <laughs> There's so much loose ends though. Like the whole Desmond Craggy thing, I don't I I just yeah. either he's either he's the, I think the only explanation is what you mentioned he's a mistaken? few minutes ago. He's mistaken. That's the I think that's the because only thing. Because he is adamant in his belief. But not to say that belief can't be manifested in like in, in falsehoods, right? Like that. Or he's under possession because the heads want people to believe that they're not of any ancient origin or something like that. Because I thought it was very interesting how these heads almost seemed like they were in control of who had them, where they were being passed along so rapidly amongst all these different hands. You almost have to imagine that perhaps they have more authority over the people than the people tend to think. And, oh, another thing we never mentioned was the fact that um, Hodson and Ross, so the the two sort of Celtic authorities, they actually said, they made the point um, to Robbins when he went and he was initially examining and was presented the heads. They said that when it's institutionalized, so when it's in, say, a university, in some sort of institution, whatever, museum, the activity stops. It's almost like a dead zone. 
Hmm. So what does that point to? That again reminds it me of needs, Skinwalker. It needs right? vulnerability. It need well, it needs that, yeah, and it needs a lack of scientific instruments and measurability and all this kind of stuff, right? It doesn't want to be observed. No, and so it, that was interesting, right? Because Robbins initially had some kind of frightening encounters. He never, he never actually saw anything. He never saw a were sheep or a werewolf or whatever. But he did describe how he had very unusual, uh, sort of anticipations yeah and feelings um of horror and just like unease okay so but, here, here's my take then here's my final take okay. i don't think desmond craig is lying i think he's telling the truth mm-hmm. i do think he's mistaken mm-hmm. i don't think that those are the heads that he carved but i don't necessarily believe that they're of ancient celtic origin either mm-hmm. i feel like there's maybe something in between here and whether or not they're either or doesn't necessarily matter because i'm totally agreeing with you I think it's the place that matters. Mm-hmm. And until we knock down those houses at 3 Reed Avenue and dig underneath to see what else is down there, <laughs> I'd be willing to bet money <laughs> that they find some seriously messed up stuff underneath that house. I'd love to see. But at the same time, I won't want to be there. <laughs> no, I know. We're, we're, we're armchair arm podcasters. <laughs> we, 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 we research these freaky things from afar. Yep. And... Yeah. Maybe in the future, not so much, though. We do have ambitions to be a little more mobile, do some touring around and yeah. all that kind of fun stuff. I'll tell you one thing out there, guys. Like, if you're in a situation with that's a really scary, I'm either the best person to be with or the worst person to be with. It's one of those I, two options. I would think you're the worst because... What? Well... Okay, yeah, that's fair Well, enough. no, maybe not necessarily, but there have been instances like that one that we had at the lake where it was really late at night and you apparently saw something really freaky and just didn't tell me. I was petrified. <laughs> Words could not come out of my mouth. Well, I'm mad about that still because right. <laughs> I wanted to sleep too. <laughs> we'll, we'll give that story on another, uh, yeah, okay. on another episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So stay tuned for that. For yeah. Andrew's freaky stories. So uh, we really hope you guys enjoyed this freaky detail. This was an odd one, different than any other episode we've done so far. I love it. So Halloween-y is Definitely. so cool man like, yeah i mean nobody dies no nothing really no. too dark happens but it's just the the blank spots in your imagination that it that your imagination can fill in that make yeah. this scary essentially yeah exactly so let us know your thoughts we want to know what you guys think like do you believe these things to be of ancient celtic origin take a look at the pictures we'll have up mm-hmm. um and we'll post them on our website and um we'll include them everywhere else too but yeah, we'll include the the Hexam head, the quest for the Hexam heads cover, as well um, the uh, illustrations that were done when they were initially found cataloged by Roger Miquette, mm-hmm. and then uh, subsequently lost. So there isn't any actual. Yeah. Oh, actually, no, but he has the one picture of him holding them. There's so that. we can we can show that. Yeah. Too. Mm-hmm. So I guess the questions are, yeah, like what do you think these things were? Where do you think they are now? Did they did they Ooh, wander off of we, their own did accord? Did we say what happened? Oh. I don't think we did. Did we not? <gasps> oh my gosh. Well, apparently, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, I hope we're not repeating ourselves, but we have to include this, right? So apparently, Rod, or not Roger Miquette, oh my gosh, I have that totally wrong. The guy who had them in his possession last, Frank Hyde, right. who was the astrologer slash dowser. Yes. Supposedly was in a very, oh wait, no, we, we did say this. this. We yeah. did say it. Yeah. yeah. So he was but in a that, serious car accident. Was it caused by the heads? I don't know. <laughs> very dark. Dark stuff. Mm-hmm. So anyway, reach out to us into the portal mailbox at gmail.com. You can follow us on social medias at into the portal podcast on Twitter and at 
or sorry, at Into the, Portal Pod, Into the Portal Podcast number one on Twitter. Number one. And then at Into the Portal Podcast on Instagram. Mm-hmm. And as always, yeah, come join us on our Facebook group. We love it when, like, such awesome conversations going on in there. It's awesome. Yeah, it's yeah. So, yeah, come join us on there. And, until next uh, week. Until next week. We have a horrific story coming your way. Oh, man, October's just such a great month. Mm-hmm. All right, guys, we'll see you next week. Peace.